Welcome to today's episode of the PQI podcast. Today I talk with Carmine Gallo. Carmine is a three-time Wall Street Journal bestselling author, internationally popular keynote speaker, Harvard instructor, and leadership advisor for the world's most admired brands. A communications guru, according to Publishers Weekly, Gallo's books have been translated into more than 40 languages. He is one of the most influential voices in communication, business, and leadership, and has been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and USA Today, as well as MSNBC, CNBC, CNN, and ABC's 2020. Gallo has built a reputation for transforming leaders into powerful storytellers and communicators at the world's largest and most admired brands. Today, we discuss public speaking, storytelling, and communication. All right. Well, thank you so much, Carmine, for joining me today. We really appreciate it here at Encoda. So to start, will you please introduce yourself and tell our listeners about your background? Thanks. Thanks, Ginger. And it's a, it's a pleasure to be able to speak to uh, oncology pharmacists and the teams around them. My background is started in journalism. I was a, a working television anchor journalist for about 15 years of my career. Uh, CNN, CBS, a number of other organizations. And then I shifted. I wanted to become more of an entrepreneur, wanted to begin writing a, a lot more and working with individuals on improving their communication skills. So I made the transition from full-time on-air journalism to writing books and also building my own business where now I work with executives and entrepreneurs from a, a wide range of industries, especially healthcare. Uh, but I work with them on public speaking, communication, presentation skills. And I've been doing that uh, along with my wife for about 15 years. So uh, my the theme I think that connects my entire background is I love storytelling and storytelling in business and what it means to be a great storyteller. My books have included books that are just focused on Steve Jobs. That was one of my first best-selling books on communication skills because okay. Steve Jobs gave these incredible presentations. And then I started taking a deeper dive into uh, storytelling and storytelling in business and other types of communication challenges that, frankly, we all have, uh, but especially in healthcare. Okay, so I'm currently reading the book Five Stars. It it takes me, Kevin, Kevin, our editor who's listening, know it takes me a while to get through anything because I have an almost two-year-old, so it's just a slow process, um, but it is great so far. And can you tell us a little more about that book? Um, and I know you, you've talked about one, but any others and how they might be applied to us as healthcare providers? Yeah, my most current book is the one you're reading, and that's called Five Stars, Communication Techniques That Take People From Being Really Good or Average in What They Do to that next level, uh, because I have found that in almost every industry, those people who stand out, especially in leadership, tend to be better speakers, communicators. It's a skill that you can work on, like any skill. Public speaking can be honed and sharpened and practiced. You can work on it and improve. And so that's the that was the motivation behind writing five stars. 
But for many other people, I would suggest another book that I wrote before Five Stars. Five Stars is advanced, which is fine if you're into that. It's, it's an advanced public speaking communication book. It gets into metaphorical language and analogies and, and a much deeper dive into storytelling. But if you're just uncomfortable with speaking in front of a group and you want to learn some of the basics, uh, I would focus on a previous book, which was called Talk Like Ted. Oh, and yeah. Talk Like Ted is a, it continues to be a best-selling book in the area, in the category of public speaking. And it's based on the TED conference, but it's not how to get on a TED stage. I interviewed over many years a lot of the, the great TED speakers of our time, people whose videos went viral. And so my book is all about how to present in a style, not exactly like TED all the time, because obviously many of us speak on more technical topics. So you can't just have pictures like TED wants. Uh, but what can we learn from some of the great speakers on how to engage an audience, how to simplify complexity, how to tell stories that are interesting and intriguing and educational? And that's what we can learn from the TED conference and the people who have spoken at TED and how the TED organizers have worked with those people to turn them into good speakers. Okay, that's great. So I may need to backtrack because I definitely could use that too. <laughs> so I think they complement each other very well. Talk like Ted's a little more basic, but thorough. Um, five stars is, as the name implies, you're already uh, confident, you're a good speaker, but you want to get to that next level, that 1%. And that's hard. That, that takes a lot of work. It takes creativity and work and practice and some advanced public speaking techniques, but they're a good combination. Very good to know. So I do, I do want to come back to some of the public speaking in just a minute. Um, but in the book that I'm reading right now, you do talk about Aristotle and his belief in human connection. Um, and I know there was a good, really good quote in there on that. But can you share more on human connection? And I, I think especially in this last year and a half we've had, that's it's so important. Well, the fact that I write a about Aristotle in uh, five stars is is quite important. And I, and I don't, I didn't really go into it in the previous books, but it turned out to be much more important than I thought. You see, everything we know about public speaking, everything we know, it can be traced back to Aristotle's uh, philosophies 2000 years ago. In other words, we already know how to do this. We know how to connect with people. We know how to persuade people to see our point of view, or at least to uh, uh, give credibility to our, to our argument. And it, it's all been laid out in Aristotle's rhetoric, you know, uh, 2,300 years ago. But what you're getting at is this formula, this foundational formula for connection. And he broke, so Aristotle broke it up into three parts. He called it ethos, logos, and pathos. You may remember that from the book. I, yes. And ethos is, in, in other words, in order for me to connect with you, Ginger, okay, or, or any of our listeners to connect with their audience, three things have to be present. One is ethos. Ethos is character or credibility. And sometimes a credibility can simply be a, a resume. Or yeah. in my case, 
okay, the guy's written some best-selling books. He's got, he's, he has a little credibility. Yeah. So ethos is sort of, I just sort of check that off. And I think most of our listeners will be able to check that off easily. The other two elements to connect with people, uh, Aristotle called logos and pathos. So most speakers focus on logos, which is logic, making a logical appeal to reason. Uh, a lot of the folks on, on this podcast or listening are, are pharmacists or technicians or, or healthcare providers. They're in the world of logic. <laughs> here's the data. Here's the data that backs the argument. Okay, so you need that. But Aristotle believed that in order to influence people to take action on your ideas or to, to accept your ideas, there has to be pathos, which is emotion. Okay. And the best vehicle we have to transfer emotion, our passion, our enthusiasm from one person to another is through the vehicle of story. And that's why storytelling is so important. People need to connect with you by understanding their similarities with you. And that's why your, your background, your story, why are you a pharmacist? Why are you in this particular, why are you in an oncology out of all the specialties? Sometimes those simple stories connect us to one another. And yet when we're giving a presentation to a group, we think it's all about the PowerPoint and the slides and the data, which is important, but we forget the way to connect with each other through emotion and transferring our enthusiasm from one person to another. I love that. And I think it's so true. Um, I know my, my favorite part of speeches are always, I love hearing people's stories. And I know we have the two international meetings a year, and we always have at least one patient um, interest story and a patient actually come and speak. And I feel like those are always the most impactful. Like I may not remember the continuing education or the clinical topic that was presented, but those patient um, stories are always just so impactful and I feel like make a difference. Oh my gosh. I, I'm glad you brought up the, the patient stories. Um, I recall, I'm not sure if I wrote about it in five stars, could have been an earlier book, but there was, uh, I had met a healthcare leader, a CEO of a hospital system. Uh, who the hospital was not doing well in terms of, you would know this better than I do, but I guess all the hospitals are you know ranked in terms of patient satisfaction and all that. Uh, so this hospital was near the bottom of the barrel. And within, if I recall, seven years, they completely changed where this hospital went from the bottom to the top, one of the top 1% of all the hospitals in the country. And when I was talking to the CEO who led that transformation, he was the one who brought up storytelling. I didn't even use that word. He brought it up. And he said, Carmine, when I went into my first meetings as the CEO, everybody, uh, every monthly meeting was focused on the data. How are we doing in terms of the headcount and the, uh, the patient occupancy and all that? But we had forgotten about who we serve. And so... In the very next meeting, he started bringing in real patients who were dissatisfied with the, um, you know, with uh, the whole experience and why uh, he uh, he's brought in former people, you know, former employees who had left the system, uh, whether they were letters or real people. Um, so he said by listening to their stories, it reminded people of what their job really is. And so it, it's amazing to me that a transformation began 
by storytelling, but specifically listening to patient stories. That's why in those annual meetings that you that you hold, those stories and those real patients are so important. That's what people remember because we're wired for story. That's the other thing I think you'll read in Five Stars, Ginger, is that anthropologists and scientists say we are wired for story. So you do have to introduce your own story. That's how you connect with people. That's great. It's a great, great point for all of us to remember, I think. Um, and so on that, making, making our teams better and reminding them maybe why they're doing what they're doing. Um, I also, and it may have been another podcast, but I've heard you say that it doesn't matter um, who's on your team, but how they communicate. And that really stuck with me. Um, so our, our listeners are full of, I mean, our members all work together as part of a team. So nurses, physician, uh, pharmacists, technicians. So can you talk a little more about that um, and the communication on teams? Yeah, I think you're referring to some research that I did when I was looking at uh, how, how, how good teams communicate with each other. And we, we've learned a lot from like military teams too, because I've worked with the Green Berets in Fort Bragg in North Carolina. Um, I've met a number of Navy SEALs. So they're all about working as small units. They study communication much more than corporate America does. So it's really fascinating. Uh, but what they've learned is that uh, the way uh, both Green Berets and Navy SEALs and, and, and other uh, elite fighting units like that, the way they choose people for teams is not necessarily, can you just do the work? Can, can you get through the physical uh, exercises to make, that, to make that elite squad? It's how you communicate with each other. And it does come down to the leader of a particular team. Uh, so they've done a lot of research where one squad will perform poorly and versus another squad that performs at the top. And they've found that it's not necessarily the team members. It's the person at the top. It's the leader. Swap the leader and all of a sudden the teams completely reverse and take each other's place. And so as a leader of any meeting, whether it's a virtual meeting uh, or whether it's in person, and not necessarily, you don't always have to be the leader of the meeting, but someone who's participating in it. It's really important to be clear, concise, make complexity simple. And we can get into some specific techniques in a moment. But people appreciate that. Folks on a team really like a team member or a leader who, is, who has a structure to a meeting who is clear about the outcome and communicates it clearly and consistently. Yes, I, lo I love the clear and concise. I think that's just valued so much by people um, in our leaders when we, when we have a CEO or anything like that. Um, yeah, Har harder to do than it yeah. is to say, right? Yeah. <laughs> Also, our members have requested more information on public speaking. That's one of the reasons why we have you here and we're so excited that you're joining us. Um, so you and I kind of talked about a lot of them present, you know, we've talked about to their teams and to maybe small groups of staff, that type of thing. But a lot of them also present to large groups, so large meetings like ours and other organizations and maybe at their own health system or practice. Um, and a lot of them have come forward and said, you know, we really struggle with this. It's something that is difficult for us. 
So I polled various members and we have also some of our staff members um, and we have some of their top burning questions for you. Oh, excellent. Okay, let's hear them. We can go through some of those. So what are your biggest tips for preparing for a speaking engagement? Mm, okay, uh, have a structure, please. Okay. <laughs> have structure. Uh, a lot of folks prepare for public speaking by just thinking about the information that they want to provide with no real structure. They'll open PowerPoint, for example, and just start filling in the templates. Well, PowerPoint is not a storytelling tool. It's just, it's a tool to transfer information, but it's not storytelling tool. So I like to start really from the basics of tapping into my own emotion. What is it that I'm passionate about? Asking myself a question before you even open PowerPoint. What am I passionate about? What is it, what is it about this particular topic that gets me excited? What have I learned that I can't wait to share with other people? Think about what story am I going to tell? They don't know me, uh, or even if they know me, they may not know my background or they may not know my story. So what am I passionate about? What story can I tell? What is my own personal journey that I can summarize in, in 30 or 60 seconds that, that might be relevant to this particular audience? So it starts with asking yourself questions before you open a presentation or think about what slides you want to present. So okay. it's kind of like, let's start thinking out as a storyteller and not a presenter, storyteller first. But then when I talk about structure, I need some kind of structure. What is the big picture? Ask yourself, what is the one thing that I want my audience to know? I used to call that a Twitter-friendly headline. And if, if you had a, you know, 140 characters on Twitter to get your point across, what would it be? It's a good exercise. It's really hard to do. Actually, yes. But in one sentence, what is it? What, what is the whole purpose of this particular presentation? What am I, as the audience member, going to take away from it? What am I going to learn? Why should I sit here for the next 20 minutes and listen to you? How will, how will it improve uh, what I do at my clinic? Yeah. What are you going to teach me in one or two sentences? And then everything else can flow up to that headline. In journalism, we called it the lead. Uh, so if you read a really good newspaper article, like out of the Wall Street Journal or New York Times, uh, they're trained in this. In the first paragraph, you have pretty much everything you need to know. The rest are the details to fill it in. Uh, you know, uh, uh, stock, uh, stocks fall today on concerns of higher interest rates, whatever it is. Okay. Oh, okay. Stocks are down and here's why. Two sentences. I got it. Uh, now, if you want to hear the details, you read on. So that's called the lead. Same thing, in a, same thing in a business presentation. What's the one thing you want to get across? Big picture. And now you can fill it in. Now we can start filling in the rest of the structure with supporting points, supporting data and supporting stories. And the other thing about structure, if you want to keep it, we were talking about keeping it clear and concise. What's the secret to, uh, to simplicity and brevity? Stick to the rule of thirds. The rule of three is a very well-known concept in, in literature and in many different artistic endeavors. But the rule of three simply means that in 
when it comes to narrative and speaking in short term memory, people can only remember maybe three or four points. So if, if you have some very, very clear points that you, you'd like to get across, try to break them up into a grouping. Okay, so here are three things to know about um, my particular topic and, you know, could be uh, whether it's continuing edu education or here's the best way we know how, how to do something. Um, yeah, there's so many different topics, you know, in oncology pharmacy. Yeah. So I, I, I can't speak to everybody's topic, but what is the one thing uh, you want your audience to know and support it with maybe three data points, three supporting messages, not 23. Okay. And so that's what I mean by structure and asking yourself some good, solid questions before you even open up the slides. That's a good, it's a, it's a good rule of thumb to remember. PowerPoint is not a storytelling tool. It's just a tool to convey information. And if that's all you're doing is sending information, well, fine. Send me a PDF or a PowerPoint. Just send it to me. Yes. Why do I need to hear from you? I think that's yeah. such a good point. And now I'm considering like Kevin, Kevin's on here and does our webinars and I have a couple coming up too. And I'm, I'm thinking about them now and what, what I've been doing, but you're right. It's when you, when you open the PowerPoint slides and the person just reads from them, mm -hmm. I think we all think like well, we could have just, you could have just emailed these to us and it would have been just as helpful. Um, so that's a great point. And then, so if we can move on to another question, um, another member says that she blacks out on stage when she presents. So she, I mean, think she rehearses and knows what's going on, but she doesn't remember anything once she gets Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, uh, again, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Ginger, this is a lot of people suffer from um, social anxiety and some can be pretty extreme and social anxiety is exacerbated significantly in public speaking. Uh, so we all the we do all get nervous when we're public speaking. And the thing for everyone to remember, especially when it comes to nerves, is that you may have heard that it's natural. Well, it is natural. It's accepted. It's okay. Um, because, and again, I've talked to anthropologists about this, which is really interesting. But Early on, hundreds of thousands of years ago, our early ancestors had to be accepted by the tribe, otherwise they'd get kicked out of the cave. Uh, so we are actually wired to want to be accepted by the group, which is why almost all of us have some anxiety about public speaking. So it is a real thing. I mean, yeah, you acknowledge it. Uh, uh, but here's the thing about skill building. Public speaking is a skill that can be learned and you can learn to manage those fears. I try to avoid saying eliminate because that's unrealistic. You will not eliminate your anxiety, but you can manage it. And so many very successful people, you would be surprised at how many of them were terrified of public speaking. Warren Buffett is a famous example. Look it up. Um, he's written about it and he's talked about it. Uh, he was terrified of public speaking and signed up for a Dale Carnegie course just so that he could stand up in front of a group and say his name. I mean, wow. he was that, he just was going one step at a time. Um, the, the, the judge, the woman on um, Shark Tank, oh, Barbara Corcoran, 
Uh, I, I interviewed her many, many years ago, and she told me that she was terrified of public speaking early on. So what she did is she signed up to, she volunteered to teach a college course in real estate. This is when she was still you know, working her way up as a real estate professional in New York City, Barbara Corcoran. Um, and now everybody sees her on Shark Tank, and she's quite well known and very charismatic and very confident. Uh, but she volunteered to teach a course because she was so afraid of speaking in front of a group. So the point is, Ginger, they are starting small, I think, um, even with Warren Buffett, starting small, acclimating, just like cognitive behavioral therapy, right? It, it, that's how that psychology therapy works. It's uh, exposing yourself to what you fear, whether it's spiders or other anxiety, slowly, small at a time. So if you think you're just going, hey, I'm just going to speak in front of 200 people and I'm going to rock it. Yeah, you'll be nervous. Um, so I like the idea of people who are exceptionally nervous. Yes. Start small, start with peers, speak to two people um, and start working at it. And you'll see that with more practice, with more exposure therapy, Okay. Some of that fear will be alleviated, not eliminated, but alleviated. I just want to get you to a point where you at least start enjoying it and look forward to it, which most people do not. No, okay. <laughs> We're terrified of, and yet this is an opportunity to share your ideas and your enthusiasm. So I, I like to get people to that point where they look forward to a speaking engagement. I think we, we may have a long way to go with that because the next questions, I had a whole handful and I tried to put them into one because they mm -hmm. all involved. What do you do for a shaky voice, a face turning red, butterflies in the stomach, how to stop your increase in heart rate right before you're called on to speak? So yeah, I, again, I think it definitely is a problem. Well, well I, I think it's a problem for all of us and even those senior leaders who you don't think are anxious are yeah. very anxious. And I can tell you because I, I can tell you from behind the scenes, working with executives at major companies who privately tell me things that surprise me about how fearful they are of public speaking. So yeah, there are a number of things. I, I'm constantly trying to learn how to help people alleviate these anxieties. One thing that I've learned is from sports. I like follow, reading about sports psychology because they're in a very similar situation, which is the, uh, the field goal kicker who has to kick the 51-yard field goal to, to, win, you know, to win the playoff game. Yes. Uh, when the opposing team stadium is screaming. So what they do is they practice in real-world conditions. They will practice with the loudspeakers blaring. They will, they will practice um, under a little stress. The same with uh, professional golfers who have to practice, you know, the, uh, the three-foot putt to win the tournament. They'll, they play games with themselves, even when they're alone, to add a little stress to the situation. So sports psychologists have found that in order to feel a little more confident in stressful situations, you have to practice in stressful situations. Okay. That's a think good about that. I mean, think about how basic that is. You have to practice. Of course, you're going to have um, an elevated heart rate 
and you're going to be nervous when you are put in front of a large group of people and you've never really done that before. Of course, you're, of course you're going to feel anxiety. So you have to practice under a little stress. Uh, and a little stress can be in front of somebody else, in front of a couple of people, um, or in front of a trusted peer. If it's on Zoom, well, that even becomes easier. Why don't you take the Zoom or open up the link, record yourself? How many people actually do that? Not very many. Record yourself. Look into the camera. Record it. You got a little stress going on. Now, now you're on. You can't stop. You have to deliver the entire presentation as you would. Put the stopwatch on and go. Watch the video back. That's uncomfortable. We hate. We all hate seeing ourselves on video. Yeah. We do. I, I do a lot. Uh, <laughs> I know it's crazy. I do a lot of uh, YouTube interviews, so I've got to watch it back to get the, the clips. Uh, we all hate it watching ourselves or listening to ourselves. So that actually adds a little stress. Um, and if you have to do it in front of a peer um, or a trusted friend, that adds a little stress. But everyone I know, starting with Steve Jobs, who I wrote about, every person who is a really good presenter who you would say to yourself, oh, that person is charismatic. They're so comfortable and confident. I can guarantee that there's a lot of practice that goes on behind the scenes. And it took that person a while to get to where they are. Okay, that's all good yeah. to know and, and great tips too. And I, I think about the football kicker and I always feel so sorry for that person, especially when they miss it because I'm like, Anyone else can make a mistake and you don't notice quite as much But that <laughs> yeah. person. It's, it's always bad. Um, so I would just, I know we are coming to the end of our time, but I just want to ask you one more question from a member. And then I have one fun question for you. Sure. Um, but so this one I thought was really good because I think we've all had this experience, but how do you handle an audience who does not participate or interact when the presentation is specifically designed to be engaging? And she said virtually or in person. Yeah. You know, I, I have that too. I, I do a lot of virtual, uh, presentations now to different companies and I try to get people uh, to interact and sometimes they do and sometimes they're they're not as interactive I don't like to blame the audience okay let's start looking at ourselves what are we doing um, that is preventing that audience from being more interactive that's why I like to go back to stories because when you tell your story and you ask people to share their stories, they like to do that. We like to talk about ourselves and our stories. So sometimes just starting with a storytelling type of activity ah. will open people up. But if you're just, again, well, let's go back to the PowerPoint, write to the data, here's information. And now here is, now I want to hear from you. Okay. I, you haven't connected with me yet. So I like this idea of starting with your own personal story form a connection with me. Because if I'm not really connected to you, I am reluctant to interact with you. Okay. I just want the info. Yeah. Thank you for the information and goodbye. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nope. That is a great tip. Um, I think definitely that is helpful. 
Um, and then my last question for you. So we ask all of our guests, and I know you are probably doing a little more traveling than the rest of us. Um, but where would you most like to travel and why? I would like to, can I uh, name a place that I've gone to that I'd like yeah, to go back to? Absolutely. Okay. The, um, the United Arab Emirates. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Up until I'm going to say five years ago, the UAE to me was just a tiny little dot on a map and I didn't know anything about it. And then I was invited to a, a, a book convention in Dubai. Mm. And then a few years later, I worked with uh, some of the royal family in Abu Dhabi. And it, er, everything you've heard about Dubai and Abu Dhabi, I mean, it's very true. I mean, the, the, the whole culture, the yeah. fact that it goes back only about 50 years. And in 50 years, they went from being a nomadic country to being who they are today. Um, it, it's an extraordinary history. Um, it's, it's, it's much more diverse than you would ever think. Um, uh, they're very open and tolerant. I mean, it's a, it's an amazing, amazing experience to be there. Awesome. And I love it from the point of point of view of storytelling, uh, because it's in the Arab culture that storytelling kind of started, um, you yeah. know, with the Arabian nights and all that. And they know that they love sitting around telling stories and, and poetry, you know, you'll go out to poetry readings. It's it's just, it's a very, it, coming from California, it is the most different exotic country and it breaks stereotypes and it's, uh, it, it's just an amazing place. And I haven't been able to travel there. I was supposed to go there uh, last year and I didn't because of COVID. So yeah, we, we got to get past this thing so we could all travel again. Yeah. I enjoy uh, visiting new cultures and and uh, seeing how storytelling and communication work in those cultures too. I love that. No, that's fantastic. And do you go skiing at the mall? I have to know that. I, no, I've heard of that. No, I, <laughs> there's a lot to do there, but no, I, I, I've heard of all these crazy things that they do. If I ever make it, that's on the list. So. <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much for joining us today. I feel like I could have you on for another hour um, and you would be so informative and we would still have questions for you, but I really appreciate you taking the time um, and we will definitely um, put the link to your website and books in our show notes and everyone should read Carmine's books. They, this first one is great so far. I'm going to make it through and then I'm going to go on to talk like Ted. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. And um, I do have a new book coming out next year okay. that I, I think will be really relevant to your audience. So maybe we can talk next year as well. Oh, that would be great. We would, we would love to have you back. So thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Carmine Gallo. You can find Carmine's books, including Talk Like Ted and Five Stars, The Communication Secrets to Get from Good to Great on Amazon. To download this podcast, you can search the PQI podcast on Spotify and Apple. And remember to subscribe. You can listen on our website at encoda.org. That's N-C-O-D-A.org. You can also follow us on Instagram at the PQI podcast. We would also like to thank Encoda for making this podcast possible. And we hope you join us next week for another edition of the PQI podcast. Thanks, everybody.